Gentlemen Ultra Podcast, and this is Diego Maradona. Welcome back to the Gentlemen Ultra Podcast. My name is Richard Hall, and I'm your host, and I'm joined today by our editor, Emmett Gates. We are looking back over the life of Maradona. I know that there's a lot of people who've been doing this recently, but how can we not when we've got his association with Napoli and just his impact to City and to football in general. How are you today, Emmett? Yeah, I'm doing good, Richard. Doing good. Um, it's, I'm glad we're finally able to, to put this together. It's, it's two weeks to the day since he unfortunately passed on. And I think it's only right that we give the great man a tribute. Oh, completely. It's, um, it was strange. I mean, from your perspective, I, I was, I think everyone knew, this, you know, obviously like with any player, especially someone who, you know, with his sort of reputation for what he did off the pitch, you, you, this is always going to be expected. But I was quite surprised with, in my lifetime. I don't think we've ever lost a player of this magnitude. And the, sort of outpouring of, of grief, emotion, appreciation on all social media sites for me was pretty special because, as you know, social media is an interesting place that can uh, normally creates conflicts and, and different opinions, which is, you know, can be a good thing. But I, it's very rare that I've seen all of sport be so unified by someone's passing. Yeah, um, I don't know if that, that, that took me by surprise. Not, not that he didn't merit the outpouring from around the world, but I, I kind of, in the days that followed his death in the aftermath, I didn't fully appreciate how known he was worldwide. You know, I kind of felt that he was one of those players that would be appreciated within football, but I didn't realise in just a global context, you know, just in any sport, how big uh, Diego Maradona was until in the days following that and it was just it made me realise just how many people he touched in all four corners of the globe there was a I saw a picture uh, like a picture style article on the Guardian and it was people paying tribute to him from I was like Calcutta in India it was New Mexico there was um, uh, a bombed out house in Syria and some man had just painted a mural of Maradona and you see, you see the rubble, like around the the outer periphery of the house, and it's obviously no one lives in this house, but he has just painted this mural in Syria. And then when you see that, you just realise that this genius of a footballer from Argentina touched so many lives all across the world. Yeah, I think an incident for me was uh, that got me was when you saw the New Zealand rugby team presenting the shirts to the Argentinians, you know, and again, New Zealand, you don't really think, well, I don't normally think that Maradona is going to be totally prevalent there, you know, it's, um, but like you say, all those tributes that came out all, all across all different sports. And I think in some respects, you know, when you look at that sort of time when he was, you know, at his peak and really uh, setting the world on fire, the world was a sort of changing place as well. You know, you've got that mid eighties, you've got a hell of a lot of uh, branding coming out of the States. It's a new marketing approach. And you've got the first real global superstars because of the the breadth of uh, television, everything that's uh, going on with that, and the new channels, the larger uh, established, 
you know, things like we, Sky starts to appear in the late 80s. Um, and you've got brands like Coca-Cola that go all around the world. Michael Jackson's all around the world. And Maradona seems to be slap bang in the middle of all that. And it's um, it's probably, as we said, you know, you have, I mean, I'm not great on my basketball, but I don't really know the dates when Michael Jordan was starting to play. But I'm assuming that, you know, it's, it's that sort of level of... Uh, person who's uh, being appreciated so it was you know great to see that but I mean for, for us to look at it I mean before we go into um, his time in Napoli I mean for you on a personal level what's your sort of um, lasting memories of Maradona in a sense uh, well as I'm I'm 33 so I missed more or less all of Maradona's playing career you know I was too young for Italian 90. I got into football at USA in 84, but by the time that I kind of caught the football bug, which was kind of around the quarterfinal, semi-final stage, Maradona and Argentina were gone. Obviously, he kicked out after the game against Nigeria. Um, so he was gone. So I never saw him at any stage of his career. And I remember finding out about finding out about him, I must say maybe the late 90s. And I kind of, um, and then I picked up a book by John Luden, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, Once Upon a Time in Naples, and it basically covered yeah, yeah. Maradona's story seven years in, in Naples. Um, and my my lasting memory of the man is a tormented genius, a man that, as as it was as he said, explained himself in Asif Kapadia's brilliant documentary, on the pitch life goes away, your troubles go away, this was a player that essentially could control what happened within those four lines, probably better than any player in the history of the game. But once you got off that pitch, he couldn't control anything surrounding his life, in his life. And it was almost like a yin and a yang. A person who could control so much in the world's most popular sport couldn't control anything else outside of it. And that's kind of my abiding memory of him, is that he was human. For all his super superhuman ability with the football, he was human like the rest of us, and he had his frailties, and he had, he was deeply flawed. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I think the same documentary as well, there's Diego and there's Maradona, and the two people are completely different. You know, Diego is the boy that his mother knows, the boy who just wanted to play football, and, and, and you see on the pitch, Maradona's the person that he then becomes, in a sense, and... and and almost has to, you know, use that as some sort of alter ego in a sense. But yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, you know, you said you missed most of it. I I missed the beginning, obviously, of his career because I'm not that old. But um, especially, you know, when he went to, to Naples. But the back end of it, sort of the late eighties, early nineties. You know, I, I B Sky B. I know we've talked about it before in this podcast was my sort of start to Italian football. And seeing him there was just, you know, as I said before, you know, City A and a whole just looked like a completely different world, a completely different place that you would absolutely just kill to go to, kill to watch, experience the culture. And not on, on top of all of that with the fans, everything that showed this amazing, it was almost like a fantasy world of, you know, fantasy, can't really use the word fantasy football, but you know what I'm trying to say, it's this world that you want to be in and, and explore. And he was at the top of all of that. You know, it was even when you saw him that, I mean, we started the, this with, you know, the famous song from, from the warm-up in, in Naples. And, you know, we know that he used to do that 
a lot, whether it's with oranges or whatever he used to do, he used to kick the ball around and, and entertain the fans. And I think that that, for me, is the main memory. It's, it's a sort of introduction to football that he was always the pinnacle, always the limit that you then compare any other player to. Um, for me at the time, Lota Mateus was like quite close, but even, even him, he's a, he's a huge fan of his, you know, all-time hero of mine, never seemed to get close in that sense. And and then Italian 90, which was my first World Cup, you know, it was that story in itself with Maradona is just phenomenal. And and watching, you know, there's another hand of God in there, I think, against the Soviet Union or Romania. Um, you know, there's... Is the brilliant ball that he plays through for Kinesia and shows that he's still got that genius there. And then ultimately, that semi final, and you know, which, where he completely divides Naples in a sense. And for someone to be able to do that and have that aura and ability to transform a city, just to transform it completely into, you know, the, the, I mean, you could go on for hours on this and the history of Naples, the fact of, you know, all the the, the, the love of their religion and their deities and their superstitions it's just for him to go there and become so intrinsically part of that city forever now um, by playing football I think it's unparalleled I think there's, it's really difficult to see another player who's had that sort of effect especially not being from there I think that's even more important so yeah there's a lot of um a lot of memories there and you know it's just um, a shame that it didn't work out for him a bit longer and we could have seen him a little bit more in Italy but that's a, another story in itself but I think we could because it's Maradona and because it's Naples I mean you can see by the documentary we could go on for hours but we're going to sort of uh, not do that because it would just carry on and carry on and carry on but what we're going to do is we uh, obviously at the Gentleman Ultra even before this happened I mean um Obviously, you'd only just turned 60. And Emma, I know that you obviously have written a piece that's uh, appeared on the Guardian Sports Network, uh, Diego 6 at 60, and it captures his six best goals uh, as we've ranked it here for, um, for Napoli. So I thought, you know, when we were talking before, it'd be a good idea just to go through those goals. And then if people uh, obviously should have a look at the article, read them. We've got the, on the site, we've got the, uh, the links to these goals. Because these in a very small way, encapsulate Maradona in Naples, don't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't... You can't... marginalise everything that Diego did at Napoli down purely to goals because he was about so much more than that. But it just shows, gives you a flavour of what this man could do with the football. I don't think that there's anybody... Any player in the history of the game that could manipulate a football like Diego Maradona could, the things that he could do, and bear in mind, we're talking about 1980 Serie A, where the balls were different, the pitches were, like, compared to today's bowling greens, like, the pitches were absolutely ridiculous. And the things that he could do, with the, there's, there's a great quote from Michel Platini, um, and he was asked about, I think he was asked about Zinedine Zidane, and he said, what Zidane can do with a football Maradona can do with an orange <laughs> and I think that just sums up how good Maradona was with the football the things the way he could manipulate it like anybody else and just reducing what he just reducing it down to six goals really isn't enough you can't even in a way you need to give the context and as you alluded to earlier 
Naples is his city. Like his aura permeates all throughout the city. Like yeah. if you go to Naples, like I, as you know yourself, you're a man who travels a lot. I've traveled a lot. You can go to cities, big football cities, and you can almost you can almost think that football actually wasn't there was no football in the city. Yeah. Whereas you go to Naples and you learn pretty quickly that this is Diego City. His image is everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. It's, it, it is incredible. I mean, it, for me, and without digressing, because we will get to the goals, uh, I, I still wonder, and there's so much still for me unanswered in the sense of just how this transfer even happened. <laughs> just how he thinks to be. And I think that when we're going on to talk about your first goal, I mean, this is in 1984, where, you know, he's, he's only just joined. And Napoli, and if anyone, you know, from, from the younger generation wants to, to go back and look at this Napoli squad, I mean, to, in context, Napoli at this time are not a good side. You know, they, it's, it's hard to draw comparisons now, but for him to go to, to Naples, which was, and especially politically, when you looked at Italy at that time, the divide between North and South was huge. You know, the, the money and the power and the wealth and the fashion and the, the everything in the North was so much more in Turin and Milan, etc. And you look, then you've got Naples, which has always been looked at in a derogatory way by the rest of Serie A, the rest of um, Italy in some respects. You know, and maybe that's what's endeared into it. But again, from when you read about it, it's almost like, I know you were, we were talking before, you said, didn't know a great deal about the city. And he walks into this team. And when you look at it, I mean, I was looking through before because my head goes back to the area when you've got the likes of Carreca, you know, and you've got these, these Fernando de Napoli and you've got this really nice squad that's evolving into what it became that wins the titles, wins UEFA Cup, etc. But here, you look through it and you've got the other Argentinian, which is uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Bertoni. And when I look through, okay, Bani, that's the decent player. Uh, Chiro Ferrara's obviously young at this point. Uh, but really, it's a poor team. And what he then goes on to, to, to do with this team. And it, I think, again, it's unparalleled. It's unparalleled that not just because of the, how poor this team is, but because of the strength of the rest of the Serie A in, in 1984 to, to when he left was incredible. So from, from that point of view, if we move to 1984 in October, um, I mean, you take it away. They, the Maradona has literally... Uh, as we say, arrived on the peninsula and they are facing Lazio in the Stadio Olimpico. Um, yeah, take, take us through just maybe a bit of context of before, what, you know, before and where, how Napoli were, but also this, this goal. Yeah, well, I mean, um, in his book, El Diego, um, he, he says, Maradona says himself, that the team, the Napoli team that he joined was a Serie B team, plus him. They were such yeah. a bad, such a bad team, and uh, he had come from Spanish football of the eighties, which at that time was brutal. You know, there yeah. the Spanish are seen now for nice passing and tiki taka and um, you know possession based football, but in nineteen eighties, Spanish football wasn't like that. And Maradona had come from two years. You know, people think that Maradona's spell at Barcelona was a disaster. It was a disaster for things that happened to him. But, I mean, he, he scored something like 38 or 39 goals in, like, 50 games. So, stats-wise, it wasn't... You wouldn't say he was a failure. 
and he talks about it in Capedia's documentary where when he joined Serie A, he realised he had to change the rhythm of how he played. Because if he had if Maradona had have played at full tilt, he would have been killed essentially by rugged Italian defenders. So he had to change how he he basically played in spurts almost. You know, he would shift this way, go that way, you know, feints and dummies and whatever. And so I think it took him a while. Michel Platini was the same. It took him six, seven months to get used to playing in Serie A. Um, so they go, Napoli go into this game. It's a fifth game of the season, I think, away to Lazio, um, who had a young Michael Loudrop uh, on loan from Juve in the squad. And it's just it's just a glimmer of what Maradona could do with the football. Um, he He's up front with his compatriot, Daniel Bertone, and he basically chests it to Bertone on the edge of the area. It's like a one-two almost. And Bertone then lobs it back into Maradona's path. And Maradona again with the chest takes it down and doesn't give the goalkeeper any chance to react because it's halfway from his chest to his foot and he just first time volleys it. But not a volley in that it was a controlled volley. And he just plants yeah. it in the opposite corner and it just kisses off the post en route to the net. And it was just, it was a one-all draw, but it just gave you that first glimmer of what this squat diminutive number 10 could do. And what it's, was, it's, what was a very, very poor Napoli squad. It's interesting as well. I think that Bertone's uh, part in that is, is should be talked about as well because... He just knows where he is. It's a beautiful little chest and where the ball goes. But the finish, I know what you're saying, it's not a proper volley as such. Um, it reminds me, I don't know if it's a goal against, I'm getting confused with my Maradona goals now, whether it's against Italy um, or Belgium in the 86 or maybe even earlier World Cup, where it's that sort of thing that he, he does quite a lot, where the ball is uh, just before it's about to bounce, he sort of gets it just uh, two foot off. And it's almost like a little outside of the foot tap and there's not much room for that to go. There's not much room, but it's, it's an absolutely fantastic finish. And that first season, like you say, you know, it's, um, yeah, it took him time to, as, like he admits, to, to adapt to that. But coming in there, I don't know, I wouldn't say there was questions about him as such, I don't think, at the start. But, I mean, I think that you can see by the reaction there that that goal certainly means something to him because he celebrates that as if it's, it's a bigger goal than the game suggests, maybe. I don't know, but it's uh, it certainly is a fantastic strike. Now, <laughs> so I mean, last year a decent team to uh, go and score a goal and Sadio Olimpico, you know, so you go and score against them, that's one thing. But, I mean, November 1988, and it shouldn't be, um, it needs to be talked about, the, the fact of, number one, yes, Napoli have improved a lot with the, the signings. Now we're seeing the likes of Alameo and Correa in that side, but they're coming up against that Milan squad. And this goal is just, I, I actually think it's one of, it, it's just one of my favourites in, in a sense, because I think because it's against that Milan, because it's a start where Napoli is thinking, yeah, this is a real team now. And you're seeing for me, other players like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for me, in 1984, you felt like he was doing it all on his own. Now, a couple of years later, other players are realising that if they maximise their game to suit him, 
they're going to win. So, but yeah, take it away with this one because I thought it was just superb. Yeah, completely agree. Um, he says himself in his da- in his autobiography that essentially they built Napoli from the ground up. He joined and that was the start of the revolution almost. And slowly but surely, you know, 85, 86, they come third. 86, 87, they win the Scudetto, their first Scudetto. And then by the time they get to November 88, Napoli are arguably, along with Milan, the best side in Italy. Um, but it was a, a slow building process, you know, it was season by season, almost in a way that you don't, you don't, teams or clubs aren't afforded now to grow together, to build together. It's almost instant gratification or satisfaction. They want everything now, now, now. So they get to November 1988 and it's against that Milan side of Van Basten, Hullet, Reichardt, Beresi, Maldini, Castacurda, Tassadi. You go on and on and on and on. But what was interesting was the season before, 87-88, Napoli had an almost unassailable lead at the top of the at the top of the table and they were, it looked like they were going to retain the title. But then there's always been rumours that the Neapolitan Mafia, the Camorra, put the screws to some of the players who essentially downed tools towards the end of the season. Napoli, I think, had maybe lost once or twice all season. And in their last five games, I think they lost four of their last five. Just a catastrophic collapse towards the end of the season. And they give the title to Milan. But Maradona was never one of the people that was singled out for essentially down in tools because it was never in his nature. He never would have did it. No way. So then the fl- you, you flash forward to November. And Maradona had a habit. As I wrote in the piece, he had a habit of scoring ridiculously sublime goals against Milan. Like as I alluded to in the piece, there could have been you could have literally done six of Maradona's goals against Milan alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in this one, I I chose this one because it highlights it highlights two things. A is ingenuity that a man who's five foot five attempts a header from outside the box. When there's not much backlift, you know, it's not like it's pinged in and he can use the momentum no. of the cross to just delicately glance it. it. The ball literally bounces and he uses all of his neck muscles to make the ball go into the net. And it also highlights Arrigo Sacchi's high line that hadn't been seen. in Ita- It was revolutionary in Italian football in the late well, 80s. In the, what's really interesting about that point, about that high line, is he... I'll again, I'll direct people to the site to go in there and see the replays of these goals as well as um, this brilliant piece. But you you look at this, and it is a high line, but when the ball originally comes out, I, I would ask anyone to go and watch this again and ask yourself, where is Maradona when the ball gets played? Because the ball comes back, and it, uh, I don't know quite who assisted. I think it may be Fernando Di Napoli, I'm not sure. And the ball from, uh, say, let's just say it is Di Napoli for the sake of it, he, he must be like 35 yards out. But Maradona, when the ball is played, is behind him. He's actually behind him. He's literally on the edge of the centre circle. Milan press up. And as the ball comes over, number one, what I would love to go back and ask everyone involved in this goal is, did you know Maradona was going to make that run? Or was that just a freak ball? And either way, if you knew that Maradona had planned, that was planned, that was tactically brilliant. And if it wasn't, then that is outstandingly brilliant for Maradona to understand what the situation is because everyone pushes forward and he's just left 20 
five yards out, maybe. Yeah. And only the goalkeeper sees what's happening, and he's just not quick enough. I think it's absolutely incredible. Poi il, la sfera servita a Crippa dentro per Maradona, parte Maradona davanti a Galli, colpo di testa di Maradona ed è gol! Il gol di Maradona! Il gol di Maradona! Yeah, the run, the run from deep is magnificent. He almost starts at the halfway line. And it's, I think it is Fernando Di Napoli, and he just sees the run, and Di Napoli chips a beautiful ball over the. And it just showed how to get around that high Milan press that at the time was blowing everyone away. And Milan would win the Milan would win the European Cup that season at the end of that season, and they were just destroying teams. But Maradona showed how to get around it. But the run, it all starts with the run, and then just. To have the wherewithal to know I've no choice here, so he heads it. <laughs> As we said, and it's like 25 yards out, maybe. And just yeah. to have the neck muscles to be able to generate enough power on the ball for it to actually go into the net, it's genius. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Moving on to my era now, and uh, <laughs> sort of things that I remember, which is quite scary saying that because we've only gone to. Um, 1990 now <laughs> and uh, but yeah it's uh, it, it, you know look, this is um, obviously like you said before uh, this is this is where I think it's the season and correct me if I'm wrong it's the season where this is the season where they win the, the Europa League isn't it um, against Stuttgart I think no, in 90 that was the season before 89 the season before it, so right so that's the season before so there's already talk that Maradona's saying that he might want to leave um, at this point so it is and obviously we've got the um, Italian 90 just around the corner um, but this goal against Bologna I mean yeah talk us through this because it was an interesting an interesting time because you get the feeling that it's the beginning of the end of the Maradona era in some respects um, and so like you say they've already won and beaten Stuttgart then 5-3 in that two-legged final and now they're up against Bologna um, I mean Another, I mean, City out is brilliant season, a brilliant season. Um, but now, you know, Maradona has obviously achieved quite a lot here. Um, but he's still, even with the negativity, the abuse that he's put into himself in the, his own body now with cocaine, alcohol, etc. The relationship, should we say, is keeping his relationships with the Neapolitan fans to an extent. You know, that's going to be tested later on in the summer. Um, I think at this point, again, I'm not 100% sure, but there'd also been talks about his, his um, potential child who he was denying at the time. There's a lot going on here, but on the pitch, he's still doing it. Yeah, it's essentially his last great season as a professional footballer, 89-90. They win the UA, Napoli win the UEFA Cup the previous May, June, mm. 1989. And he... He basically wanted out. He'd done five years in in living in Naples. And the love, while it was love, it was suffocating. And he felt like he couldn't breathe and he wanted out. And he wanted, which is kind of ironic now, that he wanted to join Marseille. Given that Marseille and Naples, the city, the two cities are all, there have a lot of similarities in terms of uh, big one-club cities, Passionate fan base. Absolutely. It's almost like the French Naples. So I don't know why he felt that it would be easier. Obviously, playing in Liga would be a lot easier than playing in peak Serie A of the late 80s. Um, but he told 
Napoli president, Corrado Ferleino, that he wanted out and that he had basically essentially agreed terms with Bernard Tappe to join Marseille in the summer of 1989. Ferleino, it turns out, kind of, yeah, 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 we'll let you go if we win the UEFA Cup. So they win the UEFA Cup and Maradona basically asks him, look, you know, I've done... I've done what I said I would do, let me go. And he says no on the pitch while he's holding the UEFA Cup. And Maradona famously writes in his book that he wanted to smash the cup over his head in anger because he had felt betrayed. So he goes into the following season then in 89-90 and he says in Asif Kapedia's documentary that he was pissed off because he, he wasn't allowed. He, he felt like a prisoner in every sense then um, from the club and also from the Neapolitan people who just smothered him in suffocating love. But is it, he, he knew that Italian 90 was on the horizon. But, and he kind of, he did knuckle down, but he was still going on cocaine binges from Sunday to Wednesday. He did quit though, didn't he? Just before. Yeah. I think, was it the part of the season when he, they, he said, okay, I need to make this World Cup? Yeah. Uh, he did sort of get himself into some shape, which his personal trainer obviously always takes an inordinate amount of credit. Should be a documentary on him. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, yeah, but carry on. Fernando Signorini. Um, but yeah, this this was his last great season as a professional. He scored 16 goals. Nine of them were penalties. Um, and by the time, as you, as kind of as you alluded earlier, you know, the first Guerrero in 87 felt like this is the beginning of something. But by the time they went it a second time in 90, this was, it felt like the beginning of the end and that this was an unplanned Guerrero almost. Um, and they get to this game of Bologna and it's a really good game it ends a uh, 4-2 victory for um, Napoli and Maradona sets up two out of the four goals he scores one as, as well for himself it's a throw from the from the right hand side and he basically cuts in beats one player beats two and takes an early shot from the edge of the area and it just arrows into the bottom corner leaving Bologna's goalkeeper absolutely no chance and I think it was a third goal no, it was 2-0 actually. That was when the first... He had set up um, Caraca, the vastly underrated yeah. Caraca, I feel, for the first yeah. in the third minute. And then six minutes later, Diego scores the second. And then he sets up Alamau for the fourth later on. But yeah, it was it was kind of basically one of his last great acts. His last great goal for Napoli, which is why I included it. Because after Italian 90, he comes back. And he scores six times, but they're all penalties. Like, this is yeah. one of his last goals in open play. It's funny, it's a couple of things on that. One, just the fact that you said that Kareka was underrated. And I agree with that massively. I was a big fan of his after Italian 90. Um, but I think that the fact of a player of that magnitude could be so underrated just shows how much he was in the shadow of Maradona. You know, players like Alamao, who, you know, for me, watching Italian 90, I mean, actually, that's a really good point in two, two respects, because in that game, in the second round in Turin, when Argentina came up against Brazil, Brazil batter Argentina, oh, absolutely batter battered them. Battered them. Yeah, Kareka is, you know, he's so unlucky, going to has the game of his life, Branco, I think, hits the bar, Alamao. Branco and Alamayo just had the most ridiculous shots on them. And they were just crashing a bar. I'm surprised the girls stood up. And then in all of this chaos and all of this, you know, um, and it sort of typified the way Argentina were, Maradona comes out with that pass and it goes through the legs of the Brazilian defender. I think that might actually be Alamayo who, whose legs it goes through. And then Kareka takes it around Safarel. And 
and that's it. it it's done it just shows that you know just what his ability and he, you know how, how good he is but going back to this game when you say it's his last goal I think what's interesting about this as well is that people watching football now will be used to that sort of goal that a throw comes in and, and because of the way people play now uh, you have a lot of space you know to, to be able to sort of because you mentioned before about that sort of ticky-tacky type of football or the possession-based game and people will play around the edge of the box quite a lot it wasn't the same back then and you you know we both alluded to the fact that Maradona used to get kicked a hell of a lot and so you can't look back at that with today's eyes you have to look back at it and think about the defending and how that would have been approached and it's the consummate ease in which he just does that and the placement so you might look at that goal and go oh, what's so special about that but in the context of the time I would say go back to the Italian 90 World Cup uh, just off the top of my head and say how many goals did you see score like that I can't remember any but you know I, I really I, I probably have loads of people say oh there's this one there's this one but it, it's unusual football was very very different so it is it is um a fantastic goal, but I get why you did it because it was one of the last ones. But like you say, maybe not one of the best, but this one against Verona in October '85 certainly was. And again, I would say you, know, you could take us through it again, but the context of this, this is Maradona. It feels like he's he's arrived in Italy, he's learnt about Italy, and he's just realising that he's got Italy potentially in his pocket here. And, you know, when people, again, look back at this, I think it's worth mentioning the Verona side of the mid-80s, you know, is a very, uh, here we go, uh, is it a special side or is it this all to do with the referee changes? That's a whole different podcast. But they, they've actually done exceptionally well by winning the Scudetto in the mid-80s. Um, so it's, they're, no, they're no poor team here. And there's a lot of backdrop to this as well, isn't there? This is when I think there's a real heavy... Uh, this happened against Juventus as well, and Inter and, and Milan. There's, I mentioned it before about the divide in, in Italy in the way that not just the Neapolitans were treated, but Maradona was treated. And yeah, it comes to a head here, doesn't it? And it, basically, for me, I think this feels like he's uh, sticking a finger up at the north in this game. Yeah. If if you read if you read Maradona's autobiography, you realise that there's a lot of similarities between he and Michael Michael Jordan. If you watch the Last Dance, Jordan always needed an adversary, someone to basically get one over on, you know, imaginary or otherwise. He would invent, you know, he would invent someone to take revenge on because it pushed him on, pushed him further. There's a lot of similarities with Maradona as well. But in this case, it was very real because he makes his debut when he signs in 84. He makes his debut against Verona in Verona. And of course, Verona for that season would go on to miraculously win the Scudetto in 84-85. But Maradona sees for the first time the welcome to Italy uh, banners from the ultras and wash yourselves and cholera sufferers. And he, he sees this north-south divide for the very first time. And he always keeps that in his brain. In, in his book, he talks about branca. It's like an Argentine word for, uh, like, basically getting one over on someone. Basically, what, what Jordan would do. Maradona, in his book, he calls it branca. And he talks in his book about uh, branca or vaccinating Verona and Juve and Inter and Milan. And basically, all the teams that would abuse Napoli and say, you know, that they're not 
Italians and all all the Wantham Italy stuff. So when it comes to this game against Verona, Verona obviously the defending champions, and Maradona just decides I'm going to take them to pieces. And I think it's a four nil win or a three nil win. No, it's a five nil win. Um, in November, October '85, and his third goal is just <laughs> me trying to explain it wouldn't do it justice to just how nonchalant he is. The ball comes down. I think it's a goal kick. And he finds himself unmarked just inside the Verona half. And he spins. Just He controls it and just nonchalantly, delicately spins. And the ball just sits up perfectly. And he just, he doesn't volley it almost. He caresses it. And it just, it just flies. And it just pings off the post into the net. And you think the goalkeeper has a chance, but he really doesn't. Because Mordana puts the perfect amount of spin and power on it. It's just, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it is, and I think there's a couple of things there as well, because when we, everyone knows that famous, we played the song at the beginning, the warm-up, and when he's hammering the ball into the air, and it comes down, it's in there for an age, bang, and it comes onto his foot. He does it again, and he's banged onto his foot. And, you know, who, who was it? We talked about this recently, and you might be able to jog my memory out. Who was it who said that? Oh, and I'll tell you what it was in. It was the Gary Lineker tribute to him on BT Sport when he said that, you know, he saw him do this and then he was at Barcelona at the time, no poor player when he played with him in the charity game and he kicks it up and it goes miles and then all the guys at Barcelona can do like two and Maradona could do like 13, 14. Yeah. But that ball, then that's where the control is and that turn and it's like there's, a, there's music playing, there's like there's something going on and it's that no when he sees the keeper because... He shouldn't control that. The keeper is in the right position. He's high at the pitch in case that ball breaks through and he can come out. He's actually more ahead of his time, the goalkeeper, from where he's standing. But to then pick that and see it and execute that shot. And when I first watched this, I kept thinking, the goalkeeper, is he at fault here? Because he doesn't even seem to jump. But if you think about it, when he... I mean, as a very poor former goalkeeper myself, if, you, if the ball's been hit and someone goes to hit that, because the goalkeeper's on the right where his post is, you're assuming that person's going to go and hit the ball over onto your left-hand side because there's a bigger gap of the net. So as you start to go back, you're disorientated. And if the ball suddenly then drops to the right, there's no over your head. There's no way. There's no way. It's almost like he's managed to wrong-foot the goalkeeper whilst the ball's in the air. But it is certainly a spectacular goal. And again, you know, really recommend anyone who's not seen to go and have a look at the site. But talking and keeping on the, um, the the sort of sentiment of that season, keeping on the sentiment of, as I mentioned before, it wasn't just Verona who were um, giving the Neapolitans that grief um, about being Southern. I think that Maradona from the abuse from all the Northern team says in his documentary, I think that he feels very much like he's back in the bocker. It's that sort of, you know, them against the world. And I think that's why he identifies so closely to the city of Naples, because, you know, that even when you look at the difference between the Millionaires River play and the bocker and that sense of always having to fight against the, the powers that be in a sense, never more does that come into play. And you can see this on the documentary, uh, with some of the chants that are going on, but they come up, don't they, to play Juventus? And I'll let you, as as a, a Juventus man yourself, I'll let you uh, talk through this because this this was a 
probably one of the moments that I don't know if very, very, um, I never saw this live because I was five years old, but even when they were playing um, Italian football and B Sky B, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this goal is still on the intro in like 1989. You know, this is this is like this was when they were talking about Maradona before the World Cup in '90 on the coverage. They showed this goal, and it's for some reason for me this is the most familiar goal that you know out of these six. That it just seems if you are going to say what goal typifies Maradona in Naples, for me it's this. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, as we as we alluded alluded to earlier the north-south divide, Juve are almost seen, Napoli are almost seen as the antithesis of what Juventus are. Juventus are basically football aristocracy, you know, high class, high brow, to a certain extent almost pretentious in their attitude, you know, lo stile Juve and all that. Whereas Napoli are very down at heel, very rough around the edges. And that was how Diego... That's how Maradona liked it. He he talks in his book, he writes in his book that he was, Juventus were interested in him, but he felt like, much in the same way as Antonio Cassano was said uh, in, in latter years, that he wouldn't have fit. You can't, see, you can't see Maradona fitting into that Juve way of being almost. Maradona, that's why Maradona and Napoli were perfect. Because he said himself that Naples, the city of Naples, reminded him of Buenos Aires. It had that same vibe, the same feel, the way the people were, the way they acted out. You couldn't really imagine Maradona living in Turin, mixing with the, the Torinese. It just wouldn't go. So in this sense, Juve and Napoli are just poles apart. It's like North, North Pole, South Pole. They're complete opposites. And I think... At, at this point, Napoli hadn't beaten Juve for 12 years. since 1973. And this is going into the 85-86 season. And Napoli are slowly becoming a better side than the one that when Maradona had first arrived. And at this point, Juve and they're at their 80s pump under Giovanni, Giovanni Trapattoni. Michel Platini's there. He's won the Ballon d'Or for the last 14 years in a row at Juve. Um, he was Capo Canonieri uh, several seasons in a row, I think, which is odd for a midfielder, an attacking midfielder. But they go into this game, and if you watch the extended highlights of it, Maradona is unbelievable. There's one, there's one passage of play where he skips past maybe four or five players in one movement, and this is you know Kitano Shiraya, um, Cabrini. This is like a lot of the 1982 side that won the World Cup for Italy. And Maradona's just dancing through them like they're Sunday League defenders. Um, and for some reason, there's a free kick, an indirect free kick inside the box. And the footage that I watched, I couldn't figure out why there was an indirect free kick. I think it was a foul, but I'm not 100% sure. But what is astounding is essentially the distance between he and the wall and the wall and the net. Yeah. It, the space is at a premium. Like that wall isn't fully all the way back and he basically again kind of like the Verona goal he caresses the ball he wouldn't you wouldn't say he struck the ball he caresses it guides it just 
the most deft of touches and it just goes over the wall and just into Stefano Tacconi's top corner and then the San Paolo just goes absolutely wild. <laughs> it's, it, it is incredible. You captured that perfectly on the distance and the, the space between where the free kick's taken from and how he gets it over, under. And there's a couple of things as well about this. I mean, you can see from just the size of Maradona and the wall. This is, as you mentioned, this is like the 82 World Cup team almost in, in a sense. And you've got this, um, this is the old school Italian defenders. They're all tall, they're all athletic, way before you saw anything like that in the UK. These are, these are absolute specimens of human beings at the time. And you've also got Tacconi, and Stefano Tacconi doesn't get talked about enough because obviously in the 19 World Cup you get, you get Zenga. Uh, who comes in and, and deservedly so gets the place but Tacconi was an absolutely superb goalkeeper um, almost unlucky at the time he played in between when you would talk about maybe Zoff and Zenger and you know and, and he but that didn't mean that he wasn't an excellent goalkeeper he's just got no chance and it is and I think there's a lot of meaning behind this goal as well like you've, you, you've said and I think for San Paolo because again I think it's a documentary where you can hear what they're saying before the game and you can tell when you mentioned the, the uh, comparison with Jordan that he's in his head always in this game if that goal is going to another stupendous goal that's always going to go his way in that sense so for me you know with me potentially thinking that was number one um, no I understand why you chose this but we are moving now to 86 so I mean context again Maradona has literally just single-handedly um, won the World Cup, which he was probably played the best football anyone's ever seen from him in some respects. But he was doing it at Napoli as well at this point. And, I mean, wow. This this is just... I mean, I'll let you go through this because, again, context, pressure at the time, you know, it's still not the easiest team to go and play, uh, especially... You know, defensively, very aggressive team. I mean, that sort of, um, you know, when anyone looks at the sort of uh, attitude, whether it's from Brescia and Bergamo, it's a very working class, very hard uh, place to be. And the football in both of those places at the time represented that. Um, Brescia in this game, kick him to pieces. Absolutely yeah. kick him to pieces. Uh, it, it really had become a, a trait, really, for Maradona. And, you know, people might say, oh, this is what frustrates me, I'm not going to get into this, but when people call him a cheat, uh, and it's like when you talk about, as an Englishman, when you talk about the game, you know, the, we kicked him to pieces in that World Cup, and yet we call him a cheat for uh, the, hand of, the hand of God. This game reminds me a little bit of that in the sense of, he's just getting battered, isn't he? Yeah. Um, because essentially, Brescia had just come up from Serie B the season before. And, you know, they, they didn't have many tactically, you know, gifted players. So they were relying a lot of on defensive organisation and brute strength. And for this goal, you know, a lot of the goals on the list have a lot of context, you know, a lot of meaning, you know, North, East, South, Rich, Poor, Maradona, yeah. feeling uh, right and wrongs. But for this goal, this goal is basically all about the goal. It's just about, you know, it's 10 weeks after he more or less single-handedly -handed, wins the World Cup on his own with the greatest individual display, you know, that anybody has ever seen. You know, you get players you get players who do well in tournaments, like even Baggio in 94, 
in the yeah. na- in the knockout phase, Bajo scores five goals, drags Italy to the final US in eighty four. But for the group stages, Bajo was struggling with injury and he gets taken off against Norway. But Maradona from start to finish is amazing. Like from the first game to the last, there was in the in the hours after his death, someone on Twitter compiled this video of Maradona at Mexico 86 and it's just mesmeric to see how involved he was in all of Argentina's play. He, he scores five, he assists three, four, five maybe? I'm not, not 100% sure, but it's just... you just see final that, as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Chagas goal, he's that pass, that pass is unbelievable. Yeah, well, all the German players just swarm around him and he's just like a split second and he passes it through for Boracaga, Boracaga. Who, who scores so it, it's 10 weeks after Mexico and he's back in Naples and it's the opening day of the 86-87 season and he basically just picks up where he left off 10 weeks before he just the ball's lofted in him I think it's from Salvador Bagni mm. who, who lofts the ball him and Maradona has his back to the net and there's a swarm of Brescia defenders there's literally 6 or 7 defenders behind him he gets the ball, kills it stone dead with his chest, lets the ball drop, and the, the second, like not even second, the nanosecond the ball hits the turf, he's away. He spins, beats one, beats two, beats three, and just arrows in a shot into the opposite corner that gives the goalkeeper absolutely no chance. He, he doesn't even get time to ready himself to, to dive. The Mordana has the ball in the back of the net. It's just... He's like a snake. He slithers in and out of defenders at will. And the whole yeah. thing, the whole sequence lasts four seconds. It's just glorious. It is. I think that, that last point then, you say how quickly it happened. It's, I think when you look at the games of that era as well, like you said, Brescia had come up and I mentioned before about the sort of uh, the mentality that they were looking, you know, to, to do and to how they would handle players like that. You know, very a lot of the Trecortistas, if you, it would get kicked around like that at the time. But a lot of that, when we're talking about the Bologna goal, you know, you saw a lot of, uh, it's more, the football was more direct. Absolutely, it was more direct. Um, and the defence lines moved up and down quite a bit more, a bit quicker, a lot quicker. But on this, you can see the pressure and the pressure. They're, they've literally got everyone behind the ball. And so then you would see potentially, especially in that era, more balls going out to the wide areas. And that's when you would like normally look for someone to on the like Dinapoli again to cross for Kareka, maybe something like this. But at that point, it's almost like that's how you knew the game would go. You know, Inter, um, uh, who I knew obviously know very well, it was a complete tactic of that. That if they weren't coming through the centre and letting Klinsman loose, they'd look for Bremer. They looked to try and get it to him in a different angle or Serena. Maradona in this. Nobody does this. He just get like you say, he gets the ball and he's almost like, I've had enough. And he just threw them all. And he's like, job done. And it's it's incredible. And again, you know, people can't compare eras. You can't compare, you know, it's the whole I'm not gonna get into this, but the whole thing about comparing Pelix Maradona, you can't do it. Can't you've gotta look in the area, you've gotta look at the tactics, you've gotta look in my opinion anyway, the pitches and the way things are. So, you know, you can't Look at Maradona and say, is he as good as Meazza? Is he as good as Cruyff? Is he as good as Pele? Is he as good as Dion Dublin? I don't know, but it's like, you can't. You can't, you can't do it. It's a different era. I was going to use Andre Salenzi, but I changed my mind. But, then, but the, point being, the point being is, at that time, nobody does that. 
Nobody does that goal. And I'm talking about an era where you've got my personal favourite, Lothar Mateus. Yeah, Lothar Mateus could run from deep, but you look at that and that's when into counter-attacks and he would smash through like a battering ram. Platini was incredible. You know, you look at the amount of players that played in City at that time, Hullet, they all could do certain things, but nobody could do what Maradona did and, and just destroy an entire team on his own. And yeah, I can completely understand, you know, why, why you uh, put it that one. But anyone, as I said, you know, we've, we've only just, I mean, we're coming to the end now, but we've only just touched on um, six goals of Maradona and it's, it's brought us nearly a, a full hour's worth of conversation. And I feel, don't know about you, Emma, but I feel like we've skipped over it. I don't feel we've even started digging down into anything about Maradona. But yeah. I think from, from our perspective, I think that whilst there are many people who will talk about his time at Boca, many at Barcelona, Argentina, I think from our small part, just talking a little bit about what he did at Naples and trying to put some context into. And just, again, you know, I've said a million times before that this site's a lot about nostalgia and looking back in a, in a good way. And I really think that your, um, your article here that features in the Guardian Sports Network on those six goals... Do you not think that it would, I think it gives people who maybe haven't seen a lot of Maradona just a snippet of the brilliance, would you say? Oh, yeah, completely. You know, you could have, you, you could, oh, you could write a book on him. You know, obviously books have been written and by far better writers than myself and documentaries have been made. But that only gives you a brief, a brief snippet of his genius, you know. And the thing, the thing about Maradona is that it's so much more than what he did on the football pitch. You know, it, he transformed the city. As Chio Ferrara says in Capedia's documentary, them winning that first Guerrero was a social redemption of the entire city. And I don't think that's ever been the case for a football team in history, that so much has been tied up so much of a city has been tied up in the football team and it improves that city purely by a player arriving and transforming the team and then becoming champions of Italy. It's never happened before, probably, and it's definitely never happened since. And Maradona is so much more than just a football story about, you know, a player X goes to a club Zed and brings him success. It's so much more than that. But I hope that the, that article that's up on the website and that's up in the Guardian just gives, as you say, just gives a brief snippet of the genius of the man. Yeah, so I think you summed that up absolutely perfectly. And you know, for for people who who know Maradona, for people who don't, you know, it's it's we've got plenty of uh, content on him. But this one um, is certainly I mean, is one of the best we've got on the site for for talking and showing just. The, you know what can go to and the genius of him, and yeah, I think we can't really say much more than that. I think from from everyone at the Gentleman Ultra, I think it's uh, certainly would say grazie Diego for for everything that he's um, you know shown uh, Italian football. Part of the reason that this site exists, you know, massively, and uh, I hope that you know. I'm sure this isn't not going to be the last time we talk about. Him. Um, you know, we could do ten part series if we wanted to, but uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to. We will definitely be uh, relooking at Diego again, and um, I think it's um, first and foremost to just say thank you, Emmy. It's been really good just looking back over the memories uh, with yourself 
again, kudos on the article. It's fantastic. And uh, yes, I think um, from both of us here to Diego, I think especially it's a uh, ciao for now.